Anyway, how's everybody doing? Are you guys excited? Um, glad to be here today. I'm happy to be here with all of you that are in person, those that are watching online. Thanks for tuning in today. Um, you know, one thing that we've started, we haven't talked a whole lot about it yet because it took a little while to work the kinks out. If you happen to be watching online, we've started a whole new experience. If you want to go to uh, lantana.online.church, then um, probably that's less for the people here. But if you're watching online and you're on Facebook, uh, lantana.online.church is a, is a different kind of platform. It allows you to communicate with each other, um, to talk to somebody if you want to have a prayer, those kind of things. So it's a pretty neat thing. We'll be talking more about that later. Um, it's kind of in a soft rollout right now because we had a, some issues trying to get it uh, off the ground. But anyway, something to check out if you have the opportunity to. And then uh, this, I know it was mentioned on here, next Sunday night, I'm so excited, May 30th. Um, it's going to be, since I've been here, I know you guys, this church has had nights of worship before, but since I've been here, I think this will be the first one that we've done. So Sunday night, next Sunday night, if you want to have, it's just going to be a night of worship. We're just going to come, we're just going to worship, we're going to praise, we're going to pray. Uh, it's going to be a good time together. So, and then uh, just need to give a shout out to my wife. She's put up with me for 22 years. Yeah, 22 years yesterday. We were able to, I'm not sure at what point do we quit saying how many anniversaries it's been because it starts to give away her age. Um, you know, I don't know when we do that, but no, it's been, it's been good. 22 years and uh, I think that we are just getting better every day. And uh, we love it, and, and I love her, and honestly, it's just, it's been a great relationship. But I had to give that shout out, 22 years, can you believe 22? I can remember um, when we got married, and we lived in Arlington, or yeah, we lived in Arlington. I was youth pastor in Grand Prairie, and so kind of to celebrate, we went back to the Papacitas last night that um, we used to have our date nights. When we first got married, obviously, as with most newly married, we had no money whatsoever. So we would save our money and go have fajitas at Papacitas. I can remember that. And uh, so we went over there last night and actually sat at a same, one of the same tables we used to sit at um, for our anniversary. So anyway, it's good. Love you, babe. Thanks for putting up with me. You know, um, having kids changes the game, though. Has anybody ever... I mean, if, if you've had kids or if you've uh, adopted kids, and, and I know some people have adoptive kids that they um, invest time and effort into. So uh, wherever you're at on the spectrum, I'll say for us, having kids, it changed everything. Like it's, it's a whole different breed. I never knew what I didn't know until we had kids. And now I realize I know nothing. Um, and it's not just that the kids think I know nothing, but it's that um, I, f I feel like I don't know anything. Uh, I got a call from the school the other day asking where uh, one of my kids' lunches was. And I was like, um, seriously, you see my phone number and my wife's phone number side by side and you think it's best to call the dad and ask the dad where the, the, the lunch is? I mean, I'm going to say if you see the two phone numbers together, uh, don't call the dad because the dad doesn't know. Um, no idea where the lunch is. No idea why she doesn't have a lunch. Don't know what to do about the lunch. Um, it's like mom is the one who takes care of that. And if there's, if there's no lunch, I don't know what happens. So I'm like, um, I'm not sure what to do about this. But either they don't eat or call the mom. Uh, like those are the options here because <laughs> I'm at a loss. 
having kids, man, it changes everything. And again, like I said, you realize you don't know what, there's a whole system at work with kids that moms know all about. And moms handle the system, at least in our household, and I would say probably in most of them. And she takes care of the stuff, and, and she'll say, hey, did you know there's this thing coming up? Nope, but thanks for letting me know. Like, there's a game tomorrow night. Okay, good. Like, she keeps all of that stuff. So if you want to know if my kids are doing something, please don't call me. Um, you, can, you can call Sarisa, and she knows. She knows all things with kids. Uh, today we're going to finish up our series on being unoffendable. Unoffendable. We're going to wrap it up. But let me say as we get into this wrap-up time that in a couple of weeks, two weeks actually from today, I'm going to start a whole new, it's, it's the summer series. And we're going to talk about the Sermon on the Mount. It's going to be, uh, it's an exciting thing. I don't know if you ever have a chance. So this will give you a chance. Go through and read the Sermon on the Mount from start to finish and, and don't, like break it up and say, I'm going to read some today and some tomorrow or do that. But you have to read it all in one setting because this is a, it's a sermon. It's a message that Jesus delivers all at one time. So we're going to take the summer to uh, dive into that kind of deep dive, dig through some of it. Um, it's it's going to be a good time. I, I, the Sermon on the Mount is amazing, honestly. And as you get into it, uh, Jesus, not only do I love Jesus because who he is and what he did, but he was so smart and he, he changed everything about uh, what people thought. So anyway, um, we're going to finish up our series today on being unoffendable. And I don't want to spend a lot of time, but I do, since it's the last one, I want to make sure that you guys kind of remember the journey that we've been on. We've looked at this idea that we are all so offended all the time. Why is it that we live in a culture of offense? Even today, people are ready to uh, cancel, and we talked about that a little bit, to cancel somebody just because they don't like what they said, they don't like what they stand for, they don't like the clothes that they wear, they don't like the, I mean, you name it. We're, we're ready to just get rid of people just to cut them out of our lives because we, for some reason in our society, are very offended kind of people. People have different politics. We're going to cut them out of our life. People have different views. Somebody likes pink and I don't. That's it. We can't handle it anymore. Like it's, it's amazing that we live in that kind of culture, but we do. So we decided as Christians, people who follow Jesus, the best thing that we can do is to, to just let go of it. Like we have to let it go. And every time I say that, I think of the Frozen cartoon. You guys remember Frozen? Um, who could forget it if you had little girls like I did? Because let it go happened all the time in my house. Let it go. Let it, I'm not going to say those things, but we just let it go. So every time I think of being offended, I think of uh, Elsa, you know, we're going to let it go. Uh, we decided that we need to get rid of anger, that we need to choose to be unoffendable. Our natural state is not to live in a place of being unoffended. We have to choose that. We have to choose that place to be. Then we talked about the idea that we lived in a broken society, that everywhere around us, um, people are... We act surprised whenever somebody does something bad. Like they cut me off in traffic. Oh, I can't believe they would do that. Those politicians lied to me. I can't believe they would lie. You know, like we act offended all the time about that. We can't believe that they did that. If we can adjust the way that we think about that and realize that society is broken, people are broken, then, when, then we can more easily recognize when God does something amazing. When somebody shares their lunch, that's amazing. When somebody uh, does something for underprivileged, that's amazing. Like it's, it's really a, a cool thing when that happens. We also realize that nobody is a mortal threat to the kingdom of God. We live in this place like 
people are a mortal threat. Like we, for some reason, feel like we have to protect the kingdom. It's our job to make sure that the kingdom is not destroyed. Well, I have to tell you that no person and no group of people are capable of destroying the kingdom of God. God has set it up. It is going the way that he wants it to go. And it's our job to come alongside him and work with that, but not to defend him. He doesn't need us to protect him. Uh, and then we talked about the dumpster diver pastor, remember? Um, lost his uh, magazines that, uh, of ill repute in the dumpster, uh, his dirty magazines, and then he jumped in to find it, couldn't get out of the dumpster that he had put them in, and there he was. He was busted and humiliated and crushed. But we need to not forget that he was also forgiven, just like us. So when we have the opportunity to despise somebody like that, to look down on somebody like that, we're encouraged to remember that, um, to be offended at somebody like that, we're encouraged to remember that we're no better. We are caught, we are humiliated, and we are busted. But we're also forgiven, and that's amazing. Uh, we talked about the woman caught in adultery. Jesus came up and, and the, they brought the woman caught in adultery to Jesus, and Jesus said, hey, you don't have to do this. Be, they were ready to do the right thing. And as a church, so often we're ready to do the right thing and act like, uh, and be offended at sin. But Jesus said, you don't have to do this because we are just as guilty as she was at the end of the day. And then last week, finally, we talked about um, the difference between taking a stand and taking a stand. Uh, statistically speaking, people who get the most angry and speak out the loudest about an injustice do the least, statistically. Studies show that if you, if you speak out the loudest, if you, um, if you are get, get the angriest about it, that you happen actually to do less. The people who do the most don't talk so much. They just go and they do. So, why is it that we feel like anger should be what motivates us towards injustice? And I did have some questions this week about the idea of injustice. And I just want you to know that I'm not saying we shouldn't look at injustice. I'm not saying we shouldn't be affected by injustice. We should. But we don't need to be angry about it to do something about it. We just need to act out of love. Love is ample motivation. Uh, Motivation, <laughs> modifying, I don't know where that came from, uh, is ample motivation to do what is good. So all of these things, talking about being offended and, and how we cannot be offended and all that, comes down to this last thing today, the so what part of the, the series that we've went through. In fact, I would say today is maybe the, the most important of all of what we're going to talk about because it gives us, you know, some tangible ways that we can fix this. And so what I'd like to do today, I'm going to start by reading a portion out of this book. It's a story that um, I just could not tell well enough myself. Um, Tony Campolo, anybody know Tony Campolo? So Tony Campolo is, uh, he's a big name in the in the Christian, or at least he was once upon a time in the Christian world, but um, he tells a story, Tony Campolo does. And so I'm just going to retell his story. Once upon a time, there was a prostitute. She lived in Hawaii, and it was her birthday. Her name was Agnes. Um, in the book, The Kingdom of God is a Party, uh, by Tony Campolo, he writes this. It was at a diner in Honolulu, very late one night, 3.30 in the morning, actually, 
when he couldn't sleep from jet lag. It was just him, his donut and coffee, and the guy behind the counter when suddenly a group of prostitutes came in. They sat down on either side of Tony and they were very crude and very loud and he was about to leave. But then he overheard one of them saying tomorrow was her birthday, her 39th. Another woman made fun of her for bringing it up. What do you want, Agnes? A party? You want a cake? Do you want us to sing happy birthday? Agnes said no, she didn't. She had never had a party or a birthday cake, so why start now? When I heard this, I made a decision. I sat down and waited for uh, until the women left. Then I called over the fat guy behind the counter and I asked him, do they come in every night? Yeah, he answered. The one next to me, does she come here every night? Yeah, he said. That's Agnes. Yeah, she comes in here every night. Why do you want to know? Because I heard her say that tomorrow's her birthday. What do you say you and I do something about that? What do you think about us throwing a birthday party for her right here tomorrow night? The guy behind the counter, his name was Harry, loved the idea and so did his wife who did the cooking in the back. In fact, he wanted to make the birthday cake. Tony told him he'd, he'd be there early the next morning in time to decorate. As he decorated, complete with crepe paper, streamers, and a sign that read, Happy Birthday, Agnes. Apparently, word of the party got out because the place was filled with prostitutes before Agnes' arrival. When she came in at 3.30 with a friend, the whole place erupted. Happy birthday! She was stunned, mouth agape, flabbergasted, Tony writes. Her friend had, a, had to steady her, and when they began to sing, she began to cry. Harry lit the candles, and as she blew out the cake, she was in tears. She didn't want to cut it. Instead, she asked if she could keep it a little while. She wondered if that would be okay. Harry said she could. Then she said, I want to take the cake home, okay? I'll be right back, I promise. She left. Everyone was stunned silent. Tony said he didn't know what else to do, so he broke the silence. What do you say we pray? Looking back on it now, it seems more than strange for a sociologist to be leading, to be leading a prayer meeting with a bunch of prostitutes in a diner in Honolulu at 3.30 in the morning, but it just felt like the right thing to do. I prayed for Agnes. I prayed for her salvation. I prayed that her life would be changed and that God would be good to her. When I finished, Harry leaned over the counter and with a trace of hostility in his voice, he said, hey, you never told me you were a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to? In one of those moments when just the right words came, I answered, I belong to a church that throws parties for uh, prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. Harry waited a moment and then almost sneered as he answered, no, you don't. There's no church like that. If there was, I'd join it. I'd join a church like that. You know what? I have a new rule. I won't join a church that doesn't do that because that's the Jesus I recognize, the one who mends the brokenhearted and is never, ever scandalized by sinners. <laughs> you know, Jesus is bigger than anything, right? And that's what I want to talk to you about today, the idea of love and how it is what propels us to be unoffended. So I want to start with John chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. And by the way, the notes today for the message are in uh, the church's app. If you want to download the church's app, get that and you can follow along. Uh, so the, the first thing is this, that they, there are new rules of engagement. When he was gone, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little while longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now. 
where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. It's one of the most uh, common scriptures that we know, right? Like we, we know this. I've talked about it before. But this is what motivates us is um, when Jesus says, a new command I give you, to love one another. That statement in itself was scandalous because Jesus already had stirred people up. This is towards the end of his ministry, but they had their commandments. They had their laws. Who was this guy who was giving them a new command? It was a scandalous statement for him to make. But just like everyone else in society, Jesus was told to stay away from lepers. Everybody was told, stay away from lepers. Don't go with them. The only problem is Jesus wouldn't do it. He literally would not stay away from the lepers. He hung out with people that he shouldn't have hung out with. And with the lepers, he touched them when he shouldn't have touched them. But the difference is when Jesus touched them, they were made whole. They were healed. He had something to give them. And then the crowds would grumble at who he was spending his time with because they said, don't hang out with lepers. Don't hang out with tax collectors. Don't hang out with sinners. But Jesus would do it anyway and lives were always changed. Can you imagine what they thought when he chose to go over to this tax collector Zacchaeus' house? Remember that story? It's hard for us to understand the disdain that they would have had for tax collectors. I mean, you really have got to look into the culture and understand what was going on in the culture. But they had a serious disdain for tax collectors. Tax collectors were not honest people. They were people who lived in sin. They were uh, cheats and they um, cheated their own people by giving money. They were disloyal to giving the tax money from their people to the Roman government. Like they just were not considered to be good people. But we know what happened with Zacchaeus. We sing songs, songs about it, or we did. Do we still sing children's songs? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. You remember that one? And what did he do? He sat up in the sycamore tree to see what he could see. <laughs> I still remember those songs. Man, they're important, those songs. They stick with us. And Zacchaeus was in the tree wanting to see what he could see. And Jesus did not do what they expected. We all know the story, right? They expected Jesus to walk over and point his finger at Zacchaeus and say, Zacchaeus, shame on you. I can't believe that you would be a liar and a cheater. You're a sinner. Turn around and walk away. That's what they expected because that's what they did. That's what they thought the law required of them. But that's not what happened. What happened? Jesus invited himself over for dinner. Zacchaeus! Why don't you come on down, man? Let's go have dinner. I'll go to your house tonight. <laughs> man, so what? The kids are going to get the wrong idea. Can you believe it? We always blame things on the kids, right? <laughs> it's always the kids. Man, that's the worst about the kids getting older. When the kids were younger, they always needed a nap on Sunday afternoon. <laughs> we, we got, okay, apparently only at our house. The Sunday afternoon nap is very important. And uh, we would have to, oh, the kids, they're tired. We got to take them home and put them down for a nap. Uh, sure, I understand. I understand why Jesus did what he did, but the kids, the kids, they're not going to understand. <laughs> As it turns out, Zacchaeus' heart was changed. 
And it didn't take a, a big blasting speech from Jesus. It was simply that Jesus wasn't offended by Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus invested himself into, I mean, Jesus invested himself into Zacchaeus and other people saw Jesus do that. Zacchaeus then felt the love of Jesus and it was his love that changed him. I want to tell you, it's always grace that changes hearts. Tweet that. It's always grace that changes hearts. There's no rule that is going to change somebody's heart. And I'll tell you an example from my own life. When my dad was saved, uh, he and my mom were going through a divorce. And it was a rough divorce. And some men gathered around my dad and they prayed for him and they worked it for him and helped him understand. He wasn't a Christian. He was far from God. But these guys, and happened to be men from the Church of the Nazarene, gathered around him. He didn't know who they were. I don't even know how they came into contact. He knew somebody who knew somebody who said, hey, this guy named Howard, he, he's having a hard time. Hey, let's go meet with him. So through this time of prayer, it was the grace of God that drew my dad in. And that's why I stand before you today. Because through that, my dad got saved and then raised me in a Christian environment after that. From that day forward until today. It's always grace that changes hearts. But listen, rules are wonderful. By nature, I'm a rules guy. You probably are too. I talked about that in the very beginning. Rules bring wisdom to our lives. Rules help us to live better and they keep us from pain. And that's something that my dad talked about. He said it was God's grace that drew me in, but it was these uh, understanding what God expected of me that helped me walk the right path. But rules never change someone's heart. It's always grace because that is undeserved love that God has for us. And when we feel that love, when we sense that love, even in my life, when I understood the grace of God and his love for me, it changed everything about me. So let's talk about love. Since we're talking about love, one of my very, very favorite things to talk about in my Christian walk is about love. And we, we just read um, John 13, 34, a new command I give you, to love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. It is Jesus' word to his disciples. John 13 is at the end of all of his ministry. It is Jesus giving his disciples kind of the last words that he has for them. And what is one of the last things he tells them? Love. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And that's, that's a key phrase, love one another. See, the Old Testament talked about loving our neighbors. Jesus is focusing on loving one one another. We who are Jesus' disciples should still love our neighbors, but he brings love one another into it. See, we have been welcomed by Christ into this new and intimate kind of relationship in him with other believers. It's an intimate relationship. In Christ, we have become brothers and sisters together. We've become very close. In fact, the early Christians became so close and they had such love for each other that that was one of the things that the uh, Nero, the emperor Nero, used against them. He said, hey, they're incestuous. They're bad people. 
Look how they love each other. Nobody can love each other like this, brothers and sisters, unless they're incestuous. <laughs> In Christ, our relationship with each other is suddenly more intimate than any human relationship had ever been before that point. In the closeness of our new relationship with God and each other, this, this relationship takes on a, this love takes on a new savor. It takes on a new necessity. And I know you guys have probably experienced that in your Christian life. Times in your life where that, that relationship, that love from Christian brothers and sisters becomes so important to you. Where it draws you in. It carries a new savor. It helps you in ways that you didn't know you needed help. And listen, people in our life, they're looking for this. This is what they're looking for. And we have it. There's, there's not only a, uh, this idea to love one another, but there's a new standard. It used to be that love your neighbor was what? You remember? Love your neighbor as you love yourself, right? But here we're told that we should love each other Jesus says, as I have loved you. Are you kidding me? To love like Jesus loved? To love with a love that gives self? To love with a love that doesn't think about myself? With a motive that makes my brother more important than me? I don't know. Like, I'm pretty important to myself. I think highly of myself. I just told you, I get better every day. That means I have to love you in such a way that you're more important to me than I am. It's hard. It really is because we have this idea that this, this ingrained in us. And true love is a love that seeks the well-being of others, right? And that's what Jesus did. He sacrificed his life for us. He gave everything of himself. He was a servant to us. If you read in this whole part of, of John that we just read, it's also where he washes his disciples' feet. It's where Peter says, you're not washing my feet. Jesus said, hey, if I don't wash your feet, then you have no part of me. And then there, there's a new outcome in this kind of life too. Uh, love, I mean. This Christ-like love that permeates this new community of Christian brothers and sisters is a witness to the world that Jesus is real. How else can you explain the way that we love? There is no way that you can explain it except for that Jesus is real. This is why getting angry at injustice doesn't really help us because everybody gets angry at injustice. Everybody does, right? We're not getting angry about it. We're just doing something about it. We recognize that we live in a fallen world and so we're trying to be the hands and feet of Jesus to people and it's the love of him that causes us to do, it. it's what motivates us. We should be the most motivated people to see injustices righted. But it's all done out of love. And then people are like, man, you really love, yeah. I really love, but it's not me, it's Jesus. I become a conduit of God's grace. Not only do people believe that we love them, but they see the way that we love each other. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter three, Paul explains it this way. 
Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. Now I have to tell you, and I think I've talked on this before here, but we have... I think we have misinterpreted this for a, a lot. We use this to be like, I'm, my body is God's temple. And I'm not saying it's not, but I'm saying I don't think that's exactly what they're saying here because that's one of the things that we use about um, bad habits like smoking. Because I'm God's temple, I don't want to destroy that. And that's true. We want to take care of the body that God gave us. But don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst. It's using the plural. It's not using the singular, it's using the plural. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. This is us together. We are the temple of God, us collectively. The, the ecclesia, the, the gathering of people with a similar purpose, we together are God's temple. And anyone who destroys that temple, meaning if you're somebody who's not loving each other, if you're somebody who's gossiping about each other, if you're somebody who's tearing each other down, then that person will be destroyed. That person has no place in God's temple. And by the appearance of God's temple, us loving each other, people look outward from, from outward to inward and they say, oh my goodness, like, that's love. I want that. Which is, again, to my personal testimony, what drew my father in, my dad. Like, well, who, who are you strange guys that have gathered around me at the lowest place in my life and praying for me? And, hey, we're, we're just, we love you, God. We love you. We love each other. And my dad was like, I don't understand. He had never experienced true love. Grew up in an alcoholic uh, environment. Uh, his father was an abusive alcoholic. He was homeless for a portion of his elementary career. Like my dad had a hard life. He met these guys, didn't know anything other than fighting and fake love. And they drew him in because they loved. It's the grace of God that changes people. So I think that leads us to a place where we should refuse to be offended. These guys were not offended by my dad and his bloody knuckles from the, the fight he got into at the bar the night before. These guys were not offended by my dad and the language that he used. They gathered around him and they loved him. They weren't offended. It's kind of like an aquarium. Cerise and I were in New Orleans, uh, well, a couple of times. New Orleans, awesome, Cajun food, amazing. And we went to an aquarium. They have a big aquarium there, if you've ever been. It's, it's amazing. We loved it. Um, it was a cool thing. Loved the aquarium. Nemo and Dory were both there. You know, we got to meet them. No autographs. That was hard. Uh, <laughs> there were lots of cool fish. You know what I mean? Like, you guys, if you've been to one, you know what it's like. It's, it's amazing. Um, and, and in the book, the... Uh, the author tells a story of a similar experience he had. And there was a sign, uh, and we saw one very similar, a sign on the aquarium, and it says this, the fish in this display are all native to the South Pacific Ocean. We have removed the predators so you can observe the fish relating in peace as they do in nature. I don't know if that strikes any of you as odd. 
It did me. We have removed the predators <laughs> so the fish can live in peace like they do in the ocean. I, I don't, where there are no predators in the ocean? I didn't, <laughs> I didn't understand that exactly. But I think we as a church tend to do that. We, we try to set up an aquarium-like experience, if you will, where, where we remove all of our interaction. It's devoid with people, uh, of interaction with people who might challenge us or upset us or cause problems for us. It's an aquarium existence. We don't want anything to do with people outside the aquarium. In fact, people outside the aquarium scare us. This is, a, this is also a dangerous road, and this is no joke. As a dad of children, I want them to understand that there are dangerous people outside there. They need to know. There's dangerous and wrong views in the world that I don't want them to, under, to, to take part in. I understand that. But at the same time, if we never have interaction with people who don't think like we do, then we never get to fulfill the, God, the purpose that God has given us. The purpose that he has given us is to reach people for him. Go and make disciples of the nations. At our church specifically, to love like Jesus so lives are changed. We can never see changed lives if we never interact with people whose lives need changed. It's just, it's just not gonna happen. So we have to be, be careful How in the world will people know the love of Christ if we're living in an aquarium? So I hope you, like me, are beginning to understand why Paul said that we need to get rid of freedom, I mean of, of anger. We need to get rid of anger. And the reason is so we can live in freedom. And if you watch our prayer service, which I, I am falling in love with all over again, we've kind of changed the format again of our prayer, Wednesday night prayer and uh, we're, we're trying to do in a circle and, and we're praying and, um, and worshiping and uh, invite people to, to join on, online and it won't be long before we start in person again where everybody can be. But um, this week, as we're doing that, um, Stephanie began to pray for this, I remember, about us living in freedom and freedom is opposite of what the world thinks like we have to surrender we have to give ourselves to somebody to something in order to be set free it makes no logical sense you can't make sense of it but if you're holding on to the anger if you're holding on to the resentment if you're holding on to the hard times in your life if you're holding all of these things then you can't be free because those things become what bind you you can't be let loose. But if you give those things and you give yourself and you come under the authority of Jesus, then he sets you free so that you're let all those things, the anger is gone, the resentment's gone, the frustration is gone, the worry is gone. You've got to give it. And then you're set free. The ability to look at the highly offensive someone and see what is not yet as though it were. Can you look at somebody and see something that's not there? I don't know if anybody knows who Henry Nouwen is. Anybody know Henry Nouwen? He's a, a great 
I, I love Henry now, and he, an author, and uh, he, he wrote a book called The Road to Daybreak, which is amazing. You should read that sometime, but uh, a very contemplative type if you like that kind of thing. But anyway, um, in the book, uh, he quotes uh, Henry Nouwen, and I want to read that little section to you, Nouwen. Uh, more and more, the desire grows in me simply to walk around, greet people, enter their homes, sit on their doorsteps, play ball, throw water, and be known as someone who wants to live with them. It is a privilege to have the time to practice this simple ministry of presence. Still, it is not as simple as it seems. My own desire to be useful, to do something significant, or to be a part of some impressive project is so strong that soon my time is taken up by meetings, conferences, study groups, and workshops that prevent me from walking the streets. It is difficult not to have plans, not to organize people around an urgent cause, and not to feel that you are working directly for social progress. But I wonder more and more if the first thing I shouldn't be if the first thing shouldn't be to know people by name, to eat and drink with them, to listen to their stories and tell, you, and tell your own, and to let them know with words, handshakes, and hugs that you do not simply like them, but truly love them. It's this tension that exists between what we sh how we should be with people and how life begins to draw us. An example from my own life, um, I feel like sometimes as the pastor of the church, uh, there's, there's more to the church than just what I signed up for. I thought I signed up for, you know, eating and drinking with people and shaking hands and giving hugs. I didn't realize I signed up for uh, town council meetings and planning and zonings and air conditioning repair guys. And <laughs> there's all of those things associated with it, which by the way, as, as our church grows and as uh, the school grows, pray with us uh, for favor in, in our town because um, we're, we're looking to, to make a good relationship with them so that uh, we can have all that God has planned for us. Philippians 2, 6 through 7, this is about Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing being ta by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. <laughs> we decide to be unoffendable because that's how love operates. It gives up its value entirely. Jesus, who is God, made himself nothing. Does that ring a bell for anybody? Jesus, who is God, made himself nothing, refused to be offended. I mean, to be uh, made more than he is. He refused to be this grand kind of, of God, this one that is with a, a lightning rod uh, and telling people, you got to do, you got to do. Jesus became a servant and showed us how to love. That's a God I can worship. Are we willing to give up our status entirely? Are we willing to become nothing like Jesus did? We're admonished to have the mind of Christ. And I guess today as we wrap up this series of messages, that's what I wanna ask you. Are you willing to have the mind of Christ? Will you do that today? Will you choose to be unoffendable? Listen, 
The point of all of this is so that people will know Jesus, right? That's the point of all of this. So people will know Jesus. There are people today who don't know Jesus, who have no hope, who have no love, who have no future. Are we willing to take a stand and be unoffendable so that people can know Jesus? That's it. That's the meat of it. So today, we're gonna, I'm going to ask you guys, if you would, bow your heads and close your eyes and we're going to wrap this thing up. And I just want to give a moment for all of us here and, and just begin to, to pray and say, God, help me to be unoffendable. Help me to be like Jesus. Help me be willing to give up who I am so that somebody might come to know you, Jesus. Help me to give up all that I aspire to be that doesn't include you. Let me reword that. Help me give up all that I aspire to be so that you can be included in my life and in my life's plans so that I can walk lockstep with you so that somebody might come to know you. Help me to love like you, Jesus, so that lives are changed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.